Welcome to Corwin's Leaders Coaching Leaders Podcast with host Peter DeWitt. This podcast is from education leaders for education leaders. Every week, Peter and our guests get together to share ideas, put research into practice, and ensure every student is learning, not by chance, but by design. Hi, Ariel. Here we are with another Monday and a, another episode of uh, Leaders Coaching Leaders. How, was, how, how are you doing? Good, good. Doing well, Peter. How are you? I'm doing well. It was a good conversation with uh, with Anthony Kim. I, I was looking forward to really talking to him because you had spent mm-hmm. you'd been talking about him so much. And I know that he's done some pretty innovative author calls within within Corwin yeah. and stuff. So it was really great to talk to him about um, about new team habits. What are you yeah. people enter in to listen to the podcast? Um, yeah. what is something you want them to sort of tune in on? Well, I think part of what I love about Anthony and part of what makes him such a great person to talk to, you know, especially in our season of going from surviving to thriving is because he will always challenge your assumptions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so key. And so I think there are some key assumptions that he really challenges in this episode about how we can work together and how we can function better as teams. So I hope that readers can listen for that, you know, check your own assumptions about how teams should work together. Listen for new ideas. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Anthony Kim, Anthony has over 20 years of experience working with school systems to design new instructional strategies and to introduce innovations. He supported hundreds of schools in thinking about how we work as much as what we work on. Uh, he's the author of The New School Rules and The New Team Habits, and he just has this unique experience in both education and business, so he comes to it from a different lens, and like I said, I think you'll hear some things that might surprise you. Yeah, so give it a listen, and, and we'll meet you on the other side of the in, uh, interview. So Leaders Coaching Leaders with Anthony Kim. Anthony Kim, welcome to the Leaders Coaching Leaders podcast. It's so great to have you on. Thanks, Peter. I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. I'm in Vegas, and I know you're in upstate New York. So, I mean, it's nice to connect in this way. I never met. Yeah, exactly. I was uh, I was excited to talk to you because our mutual friend, editor uh, Ariel Curry, is a big fan of yours. So she talks about you a lot. In fact, she was telling me about how you did a author call uh, many months ago that was pretty fantastic for people talking about communication and newsletters and all that kind of stuff. So. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Ariel's been great at helping us make sure that not only we get the word out of the new school rules and the new team habits, but also introducing me to other great authors like yourself. So, um, so this season has really been about from surviving to thriving, and you have a book called New Team Habits. Where does you have a, a pretty interesting background? And I know that you do a lot of innovative work when it comes to communication and things like newsletters. So, tell me a little bit about. The, the whole idea of what are new team habits? Where did that come from? Yeah, you know, it, it started with this idea that um, a noticing I had that educators work incredibly hard. Like it's unbelievable how hard educators work uh, all the way from a teacher to a superintendent. And yet, you know, with that effort, we're not getting the kind of the imagined results that we've always wanted to get, right? And so I started thinking like, why is that the case? What prevents us from 
getting the results when we put so much effort in and just I had a few noticings, right? And, and one of them is um, how we learn, how we learn as a team is different than some other organizations. How we meet as a team is very different and how we uh, implement projects is very different than other industries. And, you know, as you know, like I've worked in a few other industries before coming into education. And so some of these ideas are learnings that I've had and observations from the work I did in the past and just wondering why we're not getting the same results in other places. So I want to go back to that. I want to go back to your background in just a minute. But what you just said is really is something I have a wondering of, actually. <laughs> you, you were just talking about the way teams come together in education is very different than what your experience is. But I'm, I'm a former, you know, I taught for 11 years. I was a principal for eight years. And I look at how we come together as a team. And I do think it needs to be a little bit different. But much of what you were just saying, how is it different from what your experience has been when it comes to how a team comes together? And how do you, within the work that you're doing, help educators see that what is actually the status quo or the norm for them isn't it maybe isn't the right direction to go in. Do those two questions make sense? Yeah, it totally does. And I think the, the simplest answer is if we take the example of how a movie gets produced, right? We, we don't, when you produce a movie, you don't bring everybody that's going to be in a movie, all the stakeholders at the beginning of the movie, like from the production of it, the filming to the editing, you don't have everybody along on that journey uh, along the way. But these are $100 million, $500 million productions that are over the course of the year. And people are inserted at different phases of the work as they're needed based off the skill. And so as a result, you can produce and work on multiple things at at the same time and you have the capacity to do it and you build expertise around it because you're not sitting through the whole process from start to finish. And one of the things that I noticed in some of my meetings with districts has been that everybody kind of starts from the beginning and stays to the end. There are 50 people in a meeting that's been around for 33 years, you know? Yeah, and I think what's interesting about what you're what you're talking about too is the fact that a lot of people in those meetings don't always feel like they have a voice, so they're right. around for that long period that period of time, but yet they're a little bit frustrated and resentful as time goes on because they really haven't had a voice in the decision making, in in the first place. Right, and then you have a little bit of FOMO too because you're just so used yeah. to being there, right? Yeah, I, I as a guy. You're just as a guy who's sat on a lot of, um, you know, strategic planning or whatever way, stakeholder group meetings, you're right. There have been lots of times that we sit there and we're a part of the process. And a lot of people will often think, especially within schools, I don't know about other industries, but even when they put stakeholder groups together, people are like, those, those administrators who put the stakeholder group, they already know what the end result's going to be. This is just a smoking like this is smoke and mirrors because, oh, yeah. you know, we're going to be we're just here, but we're really just window dressing to sort of say that we are a part of a stakeholder group. But those administrators already know what they want. How would you see you? You talk about things like learning habit. We talk about mistakes, you know, meeting habit. We lead with check ins. 
um, project habit, we kick off work. What are the what are what do those kind of things actually mean within the the way you want school leadership or any leadership team to sort of function? Yeah, I'll, I'll just start with the the leader learning habit, right? You know, especially now with the pandemic and us having experimented with so many things over the course of eighteen months and constantly flip flopping, right? From trying one thing to making like dramatic mistakes to making, having real successes in different parts. And what, what the learning habit really talks about is those mistakes are how we learn, right? If you, you're not actually learning anything, if you actually don't make mistakes, it, I, I would have an amazing life if I could just like pick up anything without making any mistakes, learn how to play the guitar or, you know, skydive without making mistakes. You know, you, you do a lot of things, and in order to learn, you make mistakes. And what we're trying to say is be okay with those mistakes as you do this work, understand why you made those mistakes, and then don't make those mistakes again, like know why you're making those mistakes. And so that, that's the learning habit. The, the meeting habit is, again, just like we try to just jump into meetings and we got our to-do list of things that we need to cover. And I, I think one of the things that, the pandemic also helped us change is a lot of times we didn't have the, you know, the water cooler conversations, right? So in order for me to actually reach out to you, it, I have to be much more intentional and be like, Hey, Peter, I, I do need to talk to you about these things. I'm not just going to walk past you in the hallway and, and have a conversation that happens to come out. Right. And so I think the intentionality of how we communicate has increased in through this, and I, I do hope some of those things uh, stay. You know, one of the one of the things that I've been introduced to lately, um, John had John Hattie sent me four research articles on de-implementation, and they come from the medical field. And he and I have actually talked about it in the the first episode of this season. De-implementation is um, one of the researchers. I think it was out of like Denmark or somewhere. It was about getting rid of low value practices. And another researcher, Wang, actually talked about how it's about a partial reduction or a complete reversal or you know, doing those kind of things. And what's interesting is people are really, when I've, when I've written about it in, in blogs and I've talked about it, like maybe even through Twitter and stuff, people are really interested into the idea of de-implementation. But when I've specifically asked them what would you de-implement? They have a much, much more difficult time. And they, I mean, honestly, like Ariel and I have sort of put these things together where I'll tweet out and you see lots of people going, yeah, de-implementation, that's going to be the thing we need to do. And then I'm like, what would you de-implement? And they're like, hmm. <laughs> so when you're, when you're, you were talking about um, how in your experience, with your background, you come into these schools and schools come together in this really sort of unique way. Um, where does that all fall into your work too? When you're talking about new team habits, it's not just about piling more on, it's about sort of repurposing? Is it about de-implementing? You know, how, how are you, how is your work intentional when it comes into and you're like, you know what, you're suffering from initiative fatigue. I'm not looking to like dump more on you. 
Where do new, new team habits intersect with that kind of de-implementation idea? Yeah, that's a good question. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of John Hattie's work. And, you know, I, I would say the simplest example I give is actually using John Hattie's work. And I'd be like, look, look at the, the measurements, right? And I'll be like, what are the things that you should be doing that will produce more than a year's worth of growth? And what are the things that you're currently doing that produces less than a year's worth of growth? And then how much of that are you doing in each of those categories? And once you put that on, on paper, then people are like, oh. But to your point, like, even though they have that, oh, uh, they're like, but we still need to do homework. Right. <laughs> That's right. And, and we can't do jigsaw method or we can't do code teach because of all of these reasons. But it's like, but your strategic plan says that you want to close the achievement gap. Right. And, and the gap is students below grade level by a couple of years. And so you have to employ tactics that produce more than a year's worth of growth. Do you think that um, when you've actually, you know, I kept saying I was going to come back to it and I haven't. Could you talk a little bit about what is your background? Where is it that you're coming from um, when you're doing this work? Because I think you have, you know, you clearly have a you've come from a different sort of career path. Um, when we're talking about all this. So can you tell people a little bit about what your background is? Yeah, so I actually uh, went to Cornell and I went to the architecture school and real estate school there. And um, the, my idea was I, I, I really wanted to change human behavior by changing space. And, and so when I went to architecture school, that's where I focused a lot of my time. And then I decided I didn't want to be an architect or architect because once you became an architect, you just bureaucracy came into play, right? With building codes and things like that. So I went into finance and, um, and then after finance, I ended up in the entertainment industry in the concert business. I started a company doing that. And I, I ended up doing a lot of corporate events in Silicon Valley, which is where I was based. And the way we secured facilities was by working with college campuses, you know, using all the unused facilities at college campuses. But through that experience, I had the opportunity to work on really interesting projects. Like uh, when, when Apple launched the first iMac, we were part of orchestrating that event. And uh, when Apple, you know, when Pixar launched Bugs Life, we did the world premiere as an event manager. And through that, some of the college presidents that I worked with asked us to help them manage their projects because they saw that we were able to execute these like very high stakes events, mm -hmm. it, super efficiently with very little information, but we had these methods and procedures and they needed the same kind of effectiveness for their projects. And so we started doing that. And that's how I got into kind of the business that I do now, consulting for school systems helping with project management, helping implement vision, helping uh, do innovative things. And so what we found is that there, there is a way to work, right? There is a way to do things. And it sometimes um, the, we could stifle ourselves by wanting to have, have everybody at the table at every single point. But if you really have trust in an organization, you know, I like when you've worked with Ariel, like I totally trust Ariel as an editor. So I don't need to be in every meeting she has about the books that I published, right? It would be very ineffective. 
Although she, I would like to know what she says about us. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the same thing to me. Is like I do my part of the book. She tells me, you know, she orchestrates all the phases, but it, I'm very clear on what the phases are. Yeah. And I insert myself when I'm needed, and then she it keeps me informed. But then I don't have to be part of all of the conversations. And as a result, like it's more effective. And I think we need to do more of that. I know you're really good at communication because that was, you know, that was definitely one of the things um, that you talked about on an author call one time. So if I'm not going to be a part of the team, right? And you talked about FOMO, the fear of missing out. And some of us definitely have that. Like, what are they talking about in there? What it, how do you how do you suggest? that teams communicate what they're doing. So those people on the outside don't, and I'm quoting, quote unquote, outside, don't feel like they have to be in all of those meetings. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I kind of look at it more like how advertising works, right? Advertising isn't a thick piece of paper binder with a report out on everything that if I give you that binder, I'm kind of, I kind of know that you're not going to read every page. But what I also am doing is saying, when you go, well, what have, have you guys thought about this? I'm like, oh, well, Peter, you know, obviously you didn't read that binder I sent you, right? It's in there and it puts you on your heels. Yeah. And that's kind of a power play that people have, right? It's just like, I gave you the information. It's up to you to figure it out. And I, I think we have to switch that mentality and be like, What's the information that Peter needs and how do I build repetitions and trust so that you and I have a relationship so that when I give you new information, you really pay attention to it. Right. And if I start overloading it, you, then you're just, you're, it's, it's, it's not all relevant. It almost sounds like, like the marketing of it. Um, I remember because I work with a lot of instructional coaches and every time I work with them, they're like, so how, how do I get people to want to work with me? And I'm like, it's in the marketing. Like you have to, how are you, how are you selling your position at the faculty meeting? Or how are you promoting your position? So people come to maybe some morning meeting where they're going to learn about what they do. It almost sounds like that promotion piece is really important. It's not just you're on a committee. So therefore you're on the committee and we can just send you the notes and just expect you to read it. it almost sounds like, if we want people to be engaged, then we have to be more innovative in how we engage those people and not just assume that people are naturally going to want to be, maybe. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Like, you know, the hierarchical structure shouldn't be the pathway to communication, yeah. right? In, in many ways, leaders today have to be influencers, you know, like social media influencers where you're like, hey, I think this is a great idea. How do I get other people to jump on board and be motivated to put time into it? And especially now with the way we're just the amount of information we have with the pandemic, the just the constant change, you know, people are at like kind of exhaustion level with all of this. And so frankly, like, I'm not sure I could take more information in, but like if if Ariel pings me and says, hey, here's some piece of information that I think would be really helpful. Like I pay attention because we have a relationship. I trust the amount of information she provides. I trust that it's relevant, right, to what, I, and so that that's how we get work done. So what is, uh, so we know that 
We don't, in, in Anthony Kim's uh, framework, we don't have to have everybody at the table. We can find different ways to like make sure that we're communicating. We've got the core group or and, and those kind of things. Besides that, what is one thing, and I hate to phrase it this way, what is one thing that you wish teams would stop doing and start doing? That's a t- tough question. What, what, what do you hate about meetings? <laughs> um, how one person dominates the conversation. That's, uh, you know, that's one of the things. Like when one person is always speaking right. up or one person is talking about the, the, why we can't do that. Oh, right. we've tried that five years ago or we tried that 10 years ago. Those kind of things. I, I guess those are definitely the things that come up. Those people that come up and say, yeah, but we can't do that. Right, right. And, and that's where like in my uh, other book, New School Rules, we talk about this uh, idea of safe enough to try. Because what does happen in those meetings is I come to your meeting, Peter, and I'm like, hey, I got this great idea to engage the community and I'm excited to do this. You know, I, I got a couple of people on my team to go off and do it. And every and then what happens is everybody around the table feels like it's their job to tell me what I'm not thinking about and why it's a bad idea and how they did it before and all of these things. And that used to be a lot um, more effective then, but now, especially what I noticed in the pandemic is that people generally couldn't have to use that response, right? It was actually pretty hard for them to say, well, we've done that before. And, <laughs> and so people just went off and did stuff and then figured it out. And that was kind of the interesting thing about how I saw just the, all of the different schools act on different things and they learned and they shared and as a result, like I think they made, they grew in different ways as a team. And that's the part that I think we need to shift towards is like, it shouldn't be my responsibility to defend why we sh- should, shouldn't do something. I'm motivated to do something. If it's a reasonably good idea, I should be able to go off and do it. But what happens is people like kind of demotivate me by the way they question. And as a result, I try to kind of, create a common denominator of how we're going to do this. And then I, I lose interest in it myself. And then it just comes, becomes deflating. Yeah. I remember as a teacher, I was going to do this school-wide project and uh, you know, anytime you're going to do a school-wide project, you learn a lot as an administrative intern about what you should do and what you shouldn't do, but we were going to do the school-wide project. So I was going to meet everybody on a Thursday morning and two teachers came and they came just to tell me why I shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was their only role when they showed up and that was pretty deflating, but we still did it. And it was this huge cultural fair because it was a very diverse school. And uh, we had more parents show up than ever before, which was fantastic, but it was just interesting to me. And those two teachers like caught steam and really loved it. But at first they were really, it just amazed me that they came in just to say why I shouldn't be doing it. It was almost like they tried to double team me. Um, so that's like, that was just always interesting. And it was definitely a good learning curve. What is, uh, as we wrap up, what is something I didn't ask you about the book and about your work that you wish that I did? I, I, I think that we talked a little bit about habits. Um, you know, the title has habits. So, but I think what people don't realize is that there's 
habits that you as a leader or as an individual have, the things that you do every day that really make a difference in your organization. So like you mentioned, like it'd be nice if people didn't talk the whole time in a meeting and hog up the whole meeting. Like it'd be nice if it was more inclusive and the habits that your leaders put in place to allow people to talk, create the culture. But I I think the other thing to remember is that what you're trying to do is create ripples, right? So, you know, the things that you do have an impact on other people and how other people react with others. And so in order for us to do this work at scale, because education requires work at scale, that we have to understand that the things that we want to do and we do every day have a ripple effect, not only on our teams, but the students that receive the end result. I really like that. I really, really like that. So I'm glad that you said that because that whole idea of the ripple effect, I think you're right. A lot of school leaders or even just a lot of teachers working with students don't understand that their words can really impact that and they can send a ripple in a positive or a negative way, right? So I really, and and sometimes I always talk in the leadership work that I do about being proactive as opposed to being reactive. It, it's not that we can't be reactive because there are times we just are going to be, but that whole idea of proactive. And I think what you just said is really important and an important reason why that that is something we need to keep in mind is that that ripple effect, what ripple effect are you going to create? you know, in your school. And I think your, your, your work around new team habits can certainly have an impact on that because so often too, and one of the reasons, another reason why I think your work is so important is that what we know is that school leaders, school leaders feel an incredible amount of uh, stress and anxiety. They, they, you know, research was showing up well before COVID, but it's certainly showing that during COVID and we have a percentage of students and, you know, in fact, NASSP, and EPI said that um, 42% of principals are considering leaving their job. And I think that one of the, the one, one of the ways to quote sort of the, the, the format of the show or the theme of the show going from surviving to thriving is looking at the team that you're actually involved in. And I think what I also enjoyed about your book is that it's that idea of habits. Let's make these habits for how we come together for a team. So then in the future, when somebody comes in, they do feel like they have a voice or do they, they do feel like the team is more innovative than just one person talking and everybody else listening. So um, thank you for that. I, I love the idea of the ripple effect. I think it's really important. Anthony Kim, thank you so much for being a part of uh, Leaders Coaching Leaders. The The book is New Team Habits, and it is definitely worth a read, and it's uh, definitely something school leadership teams can use to guide their practices. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Peter, and thank you for doing all that you do for the community and, and for other leaders in the country. Oh, thank you. All right, Ariel, I have to say there were a couple of things that I thought were really interesting to me, because as you know, I'll read the book, but I won't come in with a lot of questions. Uh And because I want to, I want to hear the conversation, like I want to know where to go with the conversation about what he says. So when he first spoke at the beginning and said, you know, coming from outside of education, I went in and these meetings were all this one way, and I was just, he said, I, I thought it was odd. I know that what, those weren't his exact words, but I thought it was odd how um, school team meetings run. And I was sitting there going, hmm, there were so many times that when you're in a school, 
you don't think it's odd, right? You just yes. think it's the school teams run and, and doing my own work in collective leader efficacy and looking at school leadership teams. I really like that he said that. The second thing that I thought was really important, and I know in, in some level we know this, the ripple effect. I like yeah. that he talked about the ripple effect because it really goes to show how important these conversations are that we have. And, and when he said that, it made me think of two things. A principal that I worked for that um, contributed to a pretty hostile school climate. So the ripple effects were very negative. And then a, a principal that I worked for where they tried to create a positive school climate and the ripple effects there where I felt like it could be more innovative. So those were really great. And I'm glad that he, I'm glad that he talked about those. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, I loved that he was talked, you know, at the beginning a little bit about mistakes <clears throat> and how we can learn from mistakes. And um, again, I think that that challenging assumptions piece of it, you hear that because he comes from that world of business. And like you said, when you're like when you're swimming in that water, you don't really notice the environment that you're in until you get removed from it. And that's where the power of someone like Anthony, Anthony Kim comes in and is able to say, Hey guys, there's something in this water. That's not right. <laughs> Let's address it and figure out what to do. And you're right. I mean, I love that idea of the ripple effect of thinking about, you know, what ripple effect will you have in your school and what's the culture that you are developing? You know, he says, uh, he referenced his other book, um, The New School Rules, and that culture piece of making it safe enough to try. And you have to have that culture piece in place with these new team habits in order to make it really effective. So it was great to hear from him on that. Yeah, I, I like your little theme there. You, I, We were talking about ripple effect, and then you were talking about mm -hmm. there's something in the water. So that was very, very cool. Oh, I didn't even put that together. <laughs> that yeah. Pat myself on the back there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Leaders Coaching Leaders. Ariel, always awesome to see you. You too. See you next time. <laughs>